Hi, welcome to episode 44 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the pullback in the U.S. dollar over the past two weeks. We'll go through the macro stories behind it before looking at a few key exchange rates. The title for this week's episode is Revisiting the U.S. Dollar Peak. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Okay, Greg, let's get the episode rolling. It's the last day of May as we record, and I guess we owe listeners a brief explanation for why we're revisiting uh, the dollar peak discussion, which we addressed last in episode 42. That was back in late April. Uh, the first reason is price action in late May, dollar negative. Dollar China turned uh, after touching 683, uh, and euro dollar hit a low of 103.50, both on May 13th. Uh, so the dollar index peaked on that day. And I think importantly, that was after the May 4th FOMC. So we're looking at a 3.9% drop in the BBDXY since that peak as we end the month of May, but it is still up 3% on a quarter and uh, up a little under 5% year to date. So let me toss it over to you. Let's get your, your thoughts. Let's get you to weigh in on a US perspective for the dollar decline. Let's start there. Okay, so I'm going to give you two or three answers there. First, Fed hike expectations backed off a bit. On May 3rd, uh, so that's the day before the last FOMC, the uh, FFZ2 uh, Fed Funds Future contract implied an end-of-year Fed rate of uh, 2.78%. And that's where it peaked because the next day Powell ruled out 75 basis point increments. By May 13th, so the date you identified as as the USD index peak, we were uh, about 15 basis points lower with an implied Fed funds rate of 2.63%. Last week, we got down to uh, 2.53% on Thursday and Friday. And I I would say that that's probably the result of Fed speakers like uh, George and Brainerd talking up the possibility of a you know, so-called strategic pause, or at least a deceleration after the Fed gets to quote-unquote neutral. And, uh, you know, I point out the minutes published Wednesday last week mentioned extreme uncertainty, uh, so that, that supported it. The second thing, Stephen, and I would argue that this is uh, even more important, equities just simply stopped falling. And, and why, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But I'll point out that the uh, spillover from uh, the crypto shock abated, and then maybe there was just a, a little ebbing of the general negative tone of uh, earnings news. But if equities have hit a bottom, 
then risk off as a driver for US dollar strength should go away. The last thing that I'll say is that I think there may have been uh, some type of an alignment in uh, official comments and actions coming out of the G20 finance officials and central bankers meeting that was held uh, about 11 days ago. Seems like there's kind of been a, a coordinated effort to uh, ease U.S. dollar strength with the Fed scaling back on hawkish rhetoric, while the ECB uh, has escalated its hawkish rhetoric. So I think that's where I'll turn it back over to you, Stephen. From a euro fundamentals angle, what changed to support the bounce from 103 to 107? And does 103 now look like it was the bottom? I think that last point about loose coordination, Greg, is definitely an interesting angle. Here's my take on an extension, sort of, of that view. After the Fed seemed to soothe market expectations for rate hike, uh, rate hikes a bit, those expectations got pulled uh, out of the curve. Risk assets like equities benefited from that move. And it seems to me that the reduction in risk aversion, partly instigated by the Fed, gave ECB officials some wiggle room to solidify rate hike expectations without causing major dislocations in European credit markets. I mean, we are seeing credit spreads and longer term yields adjust, uh, but so far it's not having a dramatic impact on, on risk appetite. Uh, I admit that I was very uncertain about how things would play out with the ECB, but uh, I did flag two important ECB issues earlier in the year. One was that the ECB could signal a NERP exit to mitigate fundamentally driven weakness in the euro. And clearly, this weakness in the currency was causing concern within the ECB. Also important, the positioning data suggested that has suggested that FX leveraged funds were only partly responsible for euro weakness. So the ECB had to act to lean against this type of fundamentally driven euro weakness. Uh, but it was also unclear to me how the ECB could start to signal normalization without severely disrupting financial conditions in credit markets at this stage. The Fed may have given them that opportunity. At least that, that's what I personally think. Um, so to answer your question, rate differentials and risk appetite supported euro dollar uh, in the bounce from 103 that you mentioned. If we're past peak Fed in terms of positive dollar impact, the ECB effect will certainly help. Uh, I think we can probably conclude that the ECB wants 103 to be the low, but I also think the timing of the peak in inflation in, in Europe, the coming fluctuations in energy prices, depending on how that plays out, balance of payments weakness and geopolitical risk, all of these uh, are probably beyond the ECB short-term control and still factors that can hold back euro appreciation in the short term. I think what concerns me is that risk aversion episodes, which can feed off those issues I mentioned, are very difficult to predict. So that's where I am in terms of thinking about this. Now, let's move to Asia. Uh, give us your thoughts, Greg, on dollar yen. Where do you think it's headed? What do you think the key issues are? And I guess the final question, Greg, is do you think the top in dollar yen is in? This year's dollar yen rally from seemingly stable around 115 for most of Q1 to a high of 131 on May 9th. I mean, what was that about? I, I think most people would tell you that it was about the FX market pricing in aggressive Fed rate hikes. And that theory certainly matches the price action of the past two weeks, because as 25 basis points or so of Fed tightening 
has come out of the curve during the back half of May. Dollar yen, you know, it backed off from 131 to 127. I would argue, though, that there's another variable at play that's just as important for dollar yen, and that's the price of Japan's number one import energy, uh, aka oil. Because of high energy prices, Japan has reverted to running a trade deficit, and that deficit could get a lot worse if we have an oil price spike over the next few months. Given the tight inventories in the oil market, uh, and that's even with uh, you know all the lockdowns in, in China taking away some of the demand, I think that an oil price spike at some point this summer is a fairly high likelihood. I mean, we haven't even reached hurricane and air conditioning season yet in North America. Whenever we get a major hurricane in the Gulf, I think we may well see oil go past the $130 barrel price we saw in the first few days of the Ukraine war. And if oil goes back above 130, so does dollar yen, I think. So I guess I would tend to think that the dollar yen peak is not in yet, although I'm not super high conviction with that view. But that brings us to dollar China, Stephen. The rapid move in dollar yen was followed a few weeks later by a similarly rapid move higher in dollar China. We moved from 640 to 683 in a hurry. But over the last two weeks, things have calmed. So, Stephen, is it over? Was 683 the high? Or what if we get an oil-induced dollar-yen spike? Does dollar China follow? Greg, I, I think if the stimulus measures uh, to support domestic demand in China don't pass through and you know, feed into better economic data, then I think there is a risk dollar China is permitted to push higher uh, as policymakers lean on the export sector of the economy again, which... By the way, this is what they seem to be doing initially after the BOJ permitted the yen to weaken uh, and Chinese policymakers were being more reticent with new stimulus measures. They let the RMB follow the yen lower and there was a clear widening of the gap between RMB yen yields at, on the one hand and dollar yields on the other hand. So to sum up, limited traction in terms of the effect of new stimulus in China and or another bout of Fed on boosting the dollar. I think the RMB follows the yen lower in an orderly fashion with PBOC managing uh, the, the move on the way down. Uh, but on the other hand, if if we do get uh, a big energy price induced sell-off in the yen, so energy price is a lot higher, uh, yen lower, I'm not sure the PBOC would tolerate significant RMB depreciation in, in that environment because of the degree to which that could complicate you know, managing the domestic inflation picture, uh, potentially impacting the trade balance negatively. With those inflation risks increasing, I think the PBOC might be more likely to park dollar China uh, for, for a while anyway and, and wait things out. So a move to seven, not out of the question, but the benefits to China have to outweigh the costs. And, and that's a very fine balancing act. I guess this is the way that the balancing act that most central banks face is reflected for the PBOC. Thanks for those thoughts, Stephen. So we're winding down here. And uh, just, just to summarize for our listeners, what we're saying is that we flat out do not know if the dollar has peaked. We don't have a lot of conviction either way. The, the thing we have the most conviction on 
is that European policymakers want 103 to be the floor in euro dollar. Although to quote the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. We tend to have the least amount of confidence that the top is in in dollar yen at 131. And for dollar China and correlated emerging currencies, we're, we're somewhere in the middle. It's just really hard to say. Did I get all of that right, Stephen? That's a common theme, Greg, lack of conviction. Uh, and I, I don't think it's uh, unique to us. Uh, the only thing I would add, uh, just pulling in the commentary from episode 42, when we first addressed the dollar peak issue, still very much believe the peak in the dollar, the timing of it depends a great deal on dollar China. And of course, there's that all important seven level in dollar China. If we get there, if the uh, benefits to policymakers outweigh the costs, it's probably going to have a broad effect on all currencies versus the dollar. But we just don't know what the global environment exactly is going to look like. What will be the variables that are moving most? Where will the volatility be? It's very uncertain. But anyway, let's wrap it up here. Uh, listeners who stuck it out until the end. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be doing our monthly podcast with our colleagues from U.S. rates, U.S. credit, and Canadian rate strategy uh, next week. But Global Exchanges will be back later in June. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. 
This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter. And information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.